I know what the day was like not to be able to afford a cup of coffee. I also I know what I was like not to have adequate food. I know what it's like to be drunk. I know what it's like to pee in my trousers. So I appreciate clean trousers. I appreciate a clean apartment. I feed myself well. Because I appreciate I appreciate everything. One thing I remember at the outset of my journey in recovery is to develop an attitude of gratitude. At one time, I had all of what I had and I couldn't live with myself. I couldn't live under my own skin and I had to drink to take away that pain. So, with all of the places that I have been in rehabs and psychiatric hospitals, etc., Eventually, I just put down the drink. I had enough. I couldn't drink anymore, and I couldn't not drink anymore. And I left down that drink. A litre bottle of vodka and a jug of orange juice. And I haven't had a drink since. And that is almost 20 years ago. Thomas? Hi, how's it going? Are you in? Yeah, in, thank you. Did you want it? No, no, I drove in. Just parked over now. Parked up then. Does I like a cup of coffee? Yeah, sure, if you're having one yourself, I will. Don't worry, I'll say that you might like a cup of coffee when it comes. Can you make it yourself? Don't make it anyone's coffee. It's like walking someone's whiskey. You can get into trouble for it. What, what? Food? The spoon's perfect, yeah. That? Loads, yeah. I take sugar. I do, unfortunately. Bit of a sweet tooth. Are you recording me there? I am recording the whole thing there from the minute I come in. Cheeky, I can't put that down. <laughs> You're a young book creator. this. I'm 28. I'm 28. When I was 28, I was in the throes of alcoholism. Can I hear it? I have, a, I have my own CD. Now, it's not for commercial purposes or anything, it's only for my friends and my own poetry and stuff. Okay. And I thought of, uh, um, if I just introduced myself by playing one of my poems to you? Yeah. How do you feel yeah, about that? Yeah, perfect, yeah. Because I just thought... I, well, if it tells me, if, if, if you feel it tells me about you, it does. Perfect, it yeah, does. of course. Uh, what is he? Well, running for myself, it's number track 14 on this. Now, let's just... Um, this. Just to you hear this, it'll introduce me to you. I've journeyed many roads in life, loving all the things I hate, drink and drugs, unrequited love, and appointments coming late. I've seen darker sides of a brighter life, where many wouldn't dare. I've witnessed birth 
and death and strife, sometimes without a care. I've slept in the arms of angels who turned devils come the dawn. They brought me through some lonely nights, even if they didn't care a yawn. I've drank with kings and paupers too and sang till the sun arose. On awakening, when my brain felt split, I've longed for death's repose. I drove fast cars on the outside lane with women by my side. That road led me to know her fast on my way down life's steep slide. I found myself in prison, still fighting, playing tough. But the worst place I found myself was in the prison of my bluff. I found what I was running from in the ashes of my life. It was myself I'd almost missed the cause of all that strife. My first major effort to try to stop drinking was when I was 21. I used to drink with this doctor and he was a young doctor and I went to him and I, t- I said I'm drinking too much because what happened was, I, 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 as I said, I was just a young guard at the time and uh, I looked back over the previous year and I remember saying to myself, I have had some intake of alcohol every single day for the last year. It might have been just two pints, but it shocked me to think that there wasn't a day gone by that I didn't drink in a pub or have some drink at home or something, but a full year and I had a drink of alcohol every day. So I asked this doctor for tablets that I had heard about, which are called antabuse, and I thought, I know that you can't drink on them, that they'll make you sick, and I thought if I took these tablets... This would solve this, what I had now become to know to myself, you've got a problem with drink. I didn't want to, to drink anymore, and I was 21. But I couldn't stop, because I was only dealing with the symptom, which is the actual taking the drink. It has very little to do with what's going on underneath the, the waterline of the iceberg. Uh, as you know... There's nine tenths of the iceberg is beneath the waterline, and the 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 one tenth that was above it was just the alcohol. There was nine tenths of stuff to be underneath that was causing the drinking. So I didn't stop at twenty one, and I had a slow, gradual um, decline to absolute um, destruction at the age of thirty two. I started my rehabs at twenty seven, and uh, nine rehabs later. Uh, by the age of 32, 33, uh, it took me to stop. I, but in that period of time, I had gotten married uh, at 27. Uh, but my my marriage broke up, uh, and uh, eventually uh, uh, I, I resigned from my job under a cloud, uh, and uh, I was homeless. I had no money. I had gone from, I had a business with my ex-wife, and I had gone from uh, all of that to um, collecting 
30 pounds, 30 pence uh, on the dole. And I thought that that was the worst thing that could ever happen to me. But uh, I started my recovery from addiction then. And I think it's more important today to talk about uh, the history of my recovery than the history of my drinking because I have a new history today for the last almost 20 years now. Uh, And talking about uh, the previous history is not much good uh, except perhaps maybe to give somebody identification but I think in talking about the new history for the last uh, 19 going on 20 years uh, it gives hope uh, and it wasn't easy well, This road um, has wonderfully good memories for me um, because it's, I spent the early part of uh, my recovery from alcoholism, uh, living in a, in a in the room of a house here that was given to me by a lovely old lady who's passed on since. But uh, this part of the city has a, a, a great memories for me and tremendously um, warm memories and hopeful memories because uh, of of what it meant to me at that time. And this here is the house. Uh, and that little room above the door is uh, where my room was across the the road there you can see a tree a huge big tree when that tree used to be in full leaf I used to hear the song of a blackbird early in the morning on those many sleepless nights I had as my head spun around on the pillow with the worries of my past and the fear of the future and uh, I didn't particularly like the blackbird at that time because he either woke me if I was if I got asleep or I couldn't go asleep when he started. But those because those nights were those nights were long, long nights. And uh, but then one night something happened in my mind, and uh, my attitude changed, and I started to listen to his wonderful aria. And every morning, faithfully, it was there. And then I, 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 I clocked him at what time that he was going to come there at. And uh, I would be up before him. And I'd be looking out through the window waiting for him to sing. And without fail, he sang. I could never see him in the tree because it was so big. It was so full of leaf. But I could hear him. And it was the same song every morning. And I was so happy too that... Uh, what I was hearing because it sounded like he was saying to me that uh, you're sober and you're getting better it was a very hopeful song but then one morning he wasn't there and there was no song and I wondered wonder why is he gone and then I kind of thought to myself that I remember thinking that maybe he's gone to sing for some other recovering alcoholic that needs him now just as I needed him and uh, I got some sort of solace at that time but I remember about three weeks later he came back and I heard him again and uh, everywhere I go now and I have travelled a good bit throughout the world 
that Blackbird has been everywhere with me and he still means as much to me today as he did all those years ago. It was a real blessing to be here on my journey of recovery. Uh, the peace and tranquility around and then it was near the city but it it means it means an awful lot to me this this part of the city it it, it really touches my heart and uh, indeed when I was uh, returning my uniform to the Gardaí uh, I got my photograph my last photograph taken in the uniform in this village just uh, of both, what, what both things meant to me the, my time in the force plus my time in the, uh, in this village and that was well timed is that Blackbird? Blackbird? yeah <laughs> that was, did you get that? I did <laughs> flew out of the house and there we are again We've got the blackbird as he f- he flew across. He's hardly the same one that talked to me all those years ago. But he came out to greet us. Same message. Same message. I'm still here and I'm still looking after you. That's amazing. I could probably describe my mid-twenties and that as being totally out of touch with other people's feelings, with other people's uh, pain, and unable to express myself. But don't forget, I was steeped in alcohol. I mean, my 20s are gone. I mean, you can give me the music of the 60s and the 70s. I have no music of the 80s. They're gone. And I have no music of the early 90s. I haven't a clue. And I was at discos and dances and parties and all that stuff. But you know the way you can tie up music with times and places... That's gone. There's no there's no 80s music for me and there's no early 90s because I stopped in, in, uh, in 87. You know, and even going into the 90s, it wasn't... It wasn't... Uh, my mind wasn't focused. I was still so stressed out and there's so much work to be done and I haven't finished yet, but there's so... Coming from, coming from 16, 17 years of alcoholism, as you know, to use a cliche, you don't row out to sea for 16 or 17 years to ex- and expect to row back in overnight. It has taken me a long, long, long time to see the shore. And I'll probably never get to the shore. And I don't ever want to get to the shore. But to, to see the shore... remember when I was uh, about 13 or 14 I was trying to figure out how I would get out of the situation that I was in the difficult home life that I was in and how I thought that how could I make life work for myself and I had a vision of getting a good job uh, marrying a professional woman, living in the right area, that that would do it for me. And I, again, providence, 
it all worked out. You know, I met this beautiful woman. We fell in love and got married. But I was drinking. We moved from a three-bedroom semi to the detached house because I thought that I might stop drinking if I got a bigger mortgage. We bought a big business and a very successful business which my ex-wife worked as I worked the police. And that was so I would stop drinking. We had two children, so I would stop drinking. So the, my dream that I had at 14, it all worked out on the outside. But inside, there was that seven-year-old boy who had got his legs slapped coming from the circus because he was, shouldn't have been in the circus field and who felt as insecure as that little boy did and who needed approval as much as that little boy did. So at 32, with all of my so-called success, I looked at it and I said to myself, that does not work to hell with the lot. And I drank myself into absolute oblivion at that stage. But again, to use that word providence, I remember driving down to Galway to commit suicide. And I drove to a hotel in Connemara. And it was in the middle of October. There was nobody in the hotel except a big fire and me and the, ba- and the, the, the guy behind the bar. And I was sitting at the bar and I had a pint of Guinness and I had a brandy. And I was booked in. And I looked around behind me as a girl and her boyfriend walked into that hotel. And that girl and her boyfriend knew me because the girl worked for my ex-wife. She had won a prize, which was a holiday for a weekend for two in any hotel in Ireland. She picked that weekend to go to that hotel where I was. And I could not commit suicide with her around in that hotel it was amazing to see the ho- to see her coming in and me there even though she didn't talk to me because I didn't talk to her but I knew who she was and I bailed out of there the next morning but it was unbelievable that that's the hotel so the providence I meant to be here I meant to tell this story it may help somebody else but uh, I wasn't meant to die and I wasn't meant to go mad from drink which so many people that I know have done. I, 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 went, to, I went to university and coming out of small, small town rural Ireland at uh, 17, 18 years of age to university with all of those kind of emotions uh, left me feeling absolutely totally different. When I came up to my UCD and you hear guys from all of the top schools in Ireland uh, who, had, who, had, who had almost done the first year arts course in their, in their Leaving Cert and where I was coming from we'd hardly done the Leaving Cert course in the Leaving Cert but, uh, so, so I felt threatened and again insecure and afraid and so, so afraid that uh, I couldn't look for if a lecture was in Theatre M I couldn't ask anyone, uh, where's Theatre M? 
because I was uh, I felt ashamed of my my country accent. Uh, I just felt ashamed of who I was. Sugarloaf Mountain. Uh, many people pass it by daily and and think nothing of it. And indeed, I did myself for years and years. But a short time into recovery, I started to notice the Sugarloaf Mountain, and I noticed all of the different colours the changes in the colours with the sun and the clouds and the sky and it started to mean something to me and it actually started to it was my I suppose it was one of the first realisations that there was somebody greater than myself in this world because uh, alcoholism or active alcoholism is so self-centred that you become uh, a member of a universe with a population of one just yourself and I climbed it a couple of times and basically what it meant to me you know was that I was I was coming alive again as an active alcoholic stroke addict uh, one is dead to feelings and dead to the beauty of the world you're you're alive from the neck up uh, but downwards is dead and the search in recovery uh, is it's, it's an inward journey to, to get in touch with uh, first of all reality but it's also a journey to get in touch with one's feelings the journey into, into feelings is so important uh, so that you can understand the hurt perhaps that you caused to other people and I remember going to my father after uh, two, two years in recovery uh, on the 17th of De- 16th of December 1987 and uh, he, I, I had said to myself that I'm, I'm doing okay in recovery and not drinking etc etc but that little relationship is not good and I'd heard a tip by John Powell uh, American psychologist, Jesuit psychologist, and uh, he, he, he described his journey uh, to his father. Uh, and uh, one of the lines he said on the tape was, "He said, I want to love you, Dad, and I want you to love me.'" And I said I would actually use those words. And I drove down the country to see my father, playing a tape of Johnny Cash called "Believe in Him," and it was "Believe in God." to give you the strength to do what you have to do and uh, I sat with my father and I said Dad, I want you to love me I want, and I want to love you the same words that John Powell used and he said, son, I've always loved you and we had a good long chat that day and I sent him a Christmas card that year for the first year in years and years I don't think I ever sent him one before and he put it on top of the television and my mother said that anyone that came into the house, he said, look at what the black sheep sent me. And on the 3rd of January, three weeks after I made my peace with him, he wasn't sick. He went out for a walk with his dog. And he came home and he collapsed and died. And I walked and carried his coffin with a pride and a gratitude of what had been afforded to me three weeks previously through my sobriety 
the ability to forgive him, to forgive him for the ability that so many men I have met since have not been able to say, I love you, Dad. And so many men who have never heard their father say, I love you, son. And I said it to him, and he dropped that three weeks later. I am so grateful for those three weeks. Uh, again, it was a wonderful, wonderful blessing. And I had blackouts since I'm, since my since sixteen seventeen. I I was I have I have had mental blackouts from my drinking from 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 the outset. And what was very much frightening to me um, as a policeman was, you know, many a person that I've talked to in relation to alcoholism and blackouts will talk about checking the car slightly when you come out in the morning. See, is there any bumps on it? But I remember a case of uh, a hit and run uh, with a truck. And it wasn't me who did this, but it was a very bright and good policeman. Got down on the road with his torch and found a little bit of scalp on the axle of the truck. And that was the truck that had run over the boy and killed him. So I had the added uh, fear of knowing there could be a bit of scalp underneath my car. And the fear of that, when you, when you wake up in the morning and the car looks okay around it, okay, as you, as you slyly look around to see that it's okay. But when you look underneath it and you say, I wonder, is it okay underneath? That is terror. And that is another drink because you cannot live with that terror you can't live with that fear that's the cycle you see you can't live with what you did you can't live with who you are you can't live with the fear you can't live with the blackouts you can't live with that terror and that's the cycle you've got to get off that you've got to stop all that in order to uh, to get your life back together and that's what I love to drive. I know a car, but have access to cars. Cars. Uh, it's one time that I don't care where I am. I heard a car in the States even. There is no fear that I'm going to drive that car drunk. And that is a freedom that so many people probably take for granted. But in actual fact, in my case... I'm grateful. And you know, I can be anywhere. I can be in Cork, Galway, Donegal at 11 o'clock tonight. But I ain't going to drive a car drunk because I don't drink. But before, when I was driving, I don't know how I didn't kill someone. Or I don't know how I never had, had one accident. I don't know how I got away. Well, I remember one time in the early separation... Uh, my two daughters were in uh, playing in the schoolyard as I walked past and uh, they had uh, little yellow um, coats, canary yellow coats that I had bought for them. So they stuck out 
quite uh, much in the in the schoolyard. And I just went in in uniform and I just said, "Hiya, girls." And the both of them just looked at me and said, "Dad, when are you coming home?" And that was a sad time because I I had no answer. So I walked away down to the Garda station, which was about 500 yards away down around the corner. And the door of the station opened after 15 minutes. And there was my daughter. She was only five or six. I don't know how she knew where the Garda station was, but there she was standing in the public office. Said, Dad, I came down to see where you worked. We had just been separated not too long. And that's what alcoholism alcoholism does. It's not just the drinking of the alcohol. And it doesn't matter what the addiction is, whether it's alcohol or drugs or food or work or reading books or whatever else it is. Once it comes to the addictive stage, they all have... They all do the same thing to relate. Any addiction does the same thing to relationships. It separates. It distances. It cuts you off from reality. So the all that has to be dealt with within uh, the person. So that the, once the drink is left down, that is a lifetime's work. And um, but it's a joyful journey. It's not an it's not an endurance test. Uh, that's the one. That's the wonderful thing. I never thought that I would say many years ago. I never thought that I would say that I'm glad that I have been where I have been. I'm not glad that the people that there have been so many people hurt, especially my ex-wife. But today I know, as a recovering alcoholic, that the worst thing that could happen to me, and it's a feeling at the depths of my soul, is that I would take that first drink. And that is a state of mind. And that's a state of mind that cost me a lot to get. It cost me everything almost, and it nearly cost me my life to get. FG. It's all so different. We'll ask someone. Would you know where Teeter M is? Yeah, it's just down there into the right. Ah, thanks very much. See, I was able to ask today where Teeter M is. If I could have only done that in 1970-71, I might have been able to uh, got more direction. This was the door. And now as we we go into this door, just all the memories come flooding back. And then we have to sit in here. This brings back memories. It's not so big after all. This was huge. This was beyond my comprehension. It's only three roses, three rows of seats, a couple of hundred students. And I was so intimidated by it because of my background 
And sometimes the students would laugh. But I couldn't laugh. Because I was crying on the inside. I couldn't wait to get out. I couldn't understand what was being said. I didn't know how to take notes. So... I didn't think that I would... That would have that effect. It's amazing. It's... It's over 30 years since I was here. And it's brought the tears that I should have shed back then if I had anyone to sh- anybody to shed them with. But instead of that, I drank. It was, on the, it was on these tears that I drank. It was on these tears that I couldn't wait to get out of a lecture theatre and go down to the pub and laugh and pretend to laugh because I couldn't laugh in sobriety. Lecture Theatre M Nightmare of the 1971 Today Just a room with seats in it In the morning full of students But for me For me At 19 years of age A hurdle I just couldn't get over And I poured alcohol into that hole in my heart. It's amazing. It's amazing. Want to take a walk around it? I know it's sound like... It's amazing that... that, uh, I didn't didn't think that would... You know, that's very real. That feeling was very real. The sadness. That's... That's how I felt here at 19 years of age. But didn't even know that that's how I felt. Or did know and didn't just drink on it to take away that feeling. But if you saw me down in the pub at, at half an hour after the lecture, inverted commas, he'd say, that guy hasn't a care in the world. But if you could see inside of me, like I was, like I was able to reveal today when I sat down in the theatre and the tears came to my eyes if you, if you could have seen them in 1970, 71 things would have been so much different people would have understood maybe I would have understood myself but I didn't know what was going on and all of that was the, uh, the journey into my alcoholism a deeper journey I was well, I was well caught up in alcoholism when I was here so, Theatre M wasn't very hard to find today. And I had the same mouth back then as I have today that I could have asked, but I just didn't have the confidence to ask. There's, there's, there's people getting... There's people today at uh, having a wedding reception now, and they're going to create people like me. It's not a generational thing. It's a human thing. Well, this is where I used to come to uh, as uh, a child. Uh, well, I suppose as a 12-year-old. It's about seven miles outside of our close. It's a place called Kilmichael. 
and it's always as quiet as it is now. And it was here that I used to cycle out here on a on a bicycle with my fishing rod on my back and uh, with the hope of catching fish. Again, I wanted to impress my father, and I really, even if I did catch one out here, I couldn't tell him where I where I caught it because I shouldn't have been out here on my own. But it was a place of quiet solitude that I uh, that I used to come to. It was a place where I felt a, a sensual, sense of advent, adventure in travelling here, but also a sense of peace, uh, even at a young age of twelve. And I suppose that peace was something I longed for, which would eventually lead to, a, to my alcoholism. But th- this is where I used to come. It's the, it's the sea, and it's the sense of, sense of freedom, and there's normally a couple of seals out there. And even as a child, I had... Uh, there was, when I'd see the seagulls, and the birds you'd get the odd bird that would, would, would be around here uh, a wagtail maybe but they had an attraction for me in, in their freedom as to uh, th- that's what I wanted to that's what I, I classified as freedom I wrote a poem uh, which I which I I dedicated to to somebody else but it's it. I could have been talking to myself and I wrote it down here and I called it the poem Dreams and it goes your soul yearns freedom and will be free it cannot be caged for it was born free and its resplendent beauty must never be stifled for like a flower in bloom is a soul in tune with the world. But no flower is planted as a bloom, and no oak tree as king. But from a tiny acorn's womb, a majesty is born. And you in time must become the light you were born to be, and nurture yourself as you break free to realize your dreams, whatever they are. For you are your own dream maker. And all of that freedom that I, is, that I have today is valued because of the entrapment of addiction. The freedom I have achieved today in my life is the freedom to be myself. I'm free to come and free to go whenever I want. Uh, and I'm I'm not looking to other people to approve of who I am. Sure, I like people to, uh, to value what I do and things like that, but not for who I am. I know who I am today, and that is a tremendous freedom. Uh, I'm unique, uh, I am precious, I am valuable, especially to myself. Uh, and uh, as a result of that, I'm not going around looking for people to tell me who I am and I'm not judging myself on what I do or what I achieve it has nothing to do with that I am who I am and that is freedom
today I can thank God for the fact that I'm an alcoholic and I don't drink because it's been a very helpful experience in my life. It wasn't easy going through it. It was quite difficult. But it, it uh, was... Uh, it's worth it all today because it has opened up so many doors for me. It has opened up so many doors for me to other people's lives and they have opened up their lives to me. So it has its positives. Today it has its positives. It was very negative at the time. Well, I love this place so much that I have left instructions for after my demise that my ashes will be brought here and released into a westerly wind which will take them out into the sea. Some of them will fall on the rocks here where I was as a child. Some will land in the sea. And I think it will be a place of final freedom for when my soul leaves my body that there is no greater place that I will know that my body is than in Kilmichael Hello Hello Thomas Yes How are you doing? It's Liam O'Brien here in RT How are you Liam? Yeah, is it convenient for you to talk? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you came to us with the idea. I'm just wondering why it is you came to us with the idea you did. There's a couple of reasons, uh, Liam, as was to give hope to other people in the same situation or in similar situations. Uh, the second one would be to give a personal experience of the power of God in our lives insofar as He can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And the third one would be that every situation in life is either a mistake or an experience. I consider that time in my life to be an experience that has made me who I am today. All in all, almost 20 years on now, what would have appeared to be a terrible negative situation or experience in my life has turned out to be one of the most positive experiences in my whole life. Okay, Liam. All right, so Tom, thanks for that. Take care. Bye. Bye.